Welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Coda Payments. Game developers building their free-to-play monetization strategy have a daunting task when considering security, payment methods, user experience, and global expansion. I'm here today with Neil Davidson, Executive Chairman at Coda Payments. Neil, how has Coda Payments helped games teams drive greater success? We like to say we help mobile game developers think outside the app when it comes to monetization. That's because outside the app, they can collect payments from their players at half the cost or less of doing so through the app stores. Coder Shop is our global marketplace for game currency and in-game items, trusted by tens of millions of gamers around the world. And developers that want to accept payments outside the app on their own websites can use Coda Pay, which allows them to support hundreds of local payment methods globally with a single integration. Whether our partner leverages Coda Pay, Coda Shop, or any of our other solutions, we offer local market insights, provide live local language customer support, ensure tax compliance, and manage fraud risks. If your listeners are interested in retaining more of the revenue they generate, I hope they'll get in touch with us at Coda. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Neil. And if you, our listener, are interested in learning more about how Coda Payments solutions can take your game to the next level, head to codapayments.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's dive into the weekly roundtable. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novik Roundtable. I'm your host, Devin Becker. And with me, of course, excellent panelists as always. Got a nice full table today. We've got Matt, Aaron, and Sebastian. How you guys doing? Awesome. Hell yeah. Sweet. Doing great. Managed to, managed to corner Sebastian for half a second back at home, so hopefully he'll he'll stick around for the whole episode and not just travel mid mid episode here. But <laughs> I believe you had some stuff you want to do talk about real quick, Aaron. Yeah, so this is just super fast. So I think a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that at Novik we we recently launched a revamped mobile user acquisition consulting vertical. And if you haven't seen that, you can check it out on our website. But what I wanted to briefly say today is that we're actually looking for a couple more great talented people to work with us on it. And so if that's you and you know mobile user acquisition work inside and out, you want to work on some exciting projects with exciting teams, reach out to us. We'd love to chat. You can hit me up at aaron at novic.co or just go to our website and fill out a form there and we'll get back to you quickly. Anyways, that's all I wanted to say. Super quick, but looking forward to working with a couple more awesome people. Yeah, if you're not sure, definitely reach out. I mean, that's how I got involved, just re- you know, originally just reaching out and uh, starting a conversation. So a lot of really cool guys here at Novik. So definitely take advantage of that, especially these interesting times we live in. Like, speaking of which, some some a, qu- a few quick interesting news stories that are. I mean, I, one of my guess is a uh, less negative, but uh, there's definitely some some stuff shuffling around. We'll get through pretty quick, and then we actually have a, a little bit of a twist here. We're going to do what's called the Business Game Awards, where we're kind of like uh, talking about our nominations for awards in sort of the business side of gaming. So we'll dig into that uh, after we cover the news real quick. We'll just start with the fun news here that I don't think it's made the complete rounds yet around ByteDance and Nuvert. 
Yeah, I don't know if I would categorize this as fun news, but it was the biggest news story that I saw coming over the weekend. And there was a Reuters report basically that ByteDance, owner of TikTok, is going to be announcing their intention to step back from video games, specifically their subsidiary called Newverse. And where most people know Newverse from is Newverse is the publisher of Marvel Snap, the card battler. And so, yeah, this is a big this is a big move. Newverse and ByteDance over the last several years have made a lot of investments and moves to to really have a bigger position in gaming to compete with some of their domestic rivals in Tencent and NetEase. Newverse is also not the only gaming endeavor at ByteDance. They have a VR group called Pico. They have a couple of other, like a casual gaming group and a mobile app store and things like that. But Newverse is definitely the biggest one. And the the report states, and by the way, they haven't come out and stated this officially, but the Reuters report states that they're going to be firing several hundred people and unwinding a bunch of the projects that are under development, possibly looking to divest some of their existing assets. So for those of you who are fans or players of Marvel Snap, they've already come out on Twitter and said that it's business as usual for them. I don't know if you know their stake is going to be divested or something like that. We'll see. Time will tell. As I said, the report has not been formally made by ByteDance itself. This is just reporting from Reuters. But big news and sad news for the people who are being laid off. But, you know, uh, this is just a preview. I'm writing about this for Novic Digest coming up soon. So stay tuned there. I did a really quick analysis in some of my research and like all of the revenue that Newverse has made in the you know five-ish years that they've been around. Keep in mind, they also acquired Moonton at a $4 billion valuation a couple of years ago, Mobile Legends Bang Bang. You take all the revenue post-acquisition for Moonton plus their own games, it was like just over a billion dollars. And ByteDance made like $26 billion in Q2 this year alone. So it's like a drop in the bucket for them. And it seems like they're, they're taking a meaningful step back from video games. So I'll just pause there. I think there's a lot of different ways we could take this. But that, that was the big news story that I saw this weekend. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if you saw the same thing since you were doing some, some uh, research for the writing. I, I had also done some like related to some of the Ubisoft stuff I was writing about and looked at all of uh, New Versus games and metrics like a couple weeks ago and definitely saw that like they were like the, most of their games were not doing great. Some of them were delisted. Like overall, I was kind of surprised that they just like overall as a company were not looking like their portfolio was not super successful. Like they had had some stuff that maybe did okay and then just kind of dwindled off. So it is, it's sad to see that kind of go down. Like the, the Marvel snap wasn't enough to kind of keep it like interesting, I guess, for them. I mean, I, I look forward to your piece, Matt, once you, once you, we have more time to kind of see what's really going on and you can kind of flesh this out a bit more for us. But yeah, in my mind, like the quick take is it was a case of buy high, sell low <laughs> in a sense. They really timed going all in, you know, kind of at the, the peak COVID times yeah. and spent, as you said, billions of dollars on this effort. And, you know, if the, you know, divest Moonton and sell some other assets, they'll, they'll get a good chunk of it back. So it's not the the worst thing in the world, but it is a, a really big and interesting just strategic shift, I guess. And I don't think they're the only ones to do it. And probably, you know, for a company like ByteDance, you, you can't just look at the game division in, in a vacuum, right? Like it's part of a much bigger entity, which includes TikTok and, you know, the Chinese equivalent of, of TikTok. And all the crazy things that are going on on there, which right now includes like a massive e-commerce push, among other things. And when you when you go into something like e-commerce in particular, 
as we've seen many times, that's an extremely expensive endeavor. And we can even look at another example in the games industry, C Limited, which owns Garena, and how they have, you know, increasingly struggled to prioritize their gaming vertical and doing new and interesting things with Free Fire and other games. And have also had divestments and just less focus there as they've invested more in their e-commerce business and competing there, which takes heavy subsidies. So in my mind, I mean, I would guess that this is in part to just refocus on some of the bigger opportunities right in front of them that are perceived as larger markets that are more timely to invest in. And if they can get a few billion dollars back to accelerate their investments in these other areas, um, that's probably what they're thinking. Uh, it could be could be a little off, but, but yeah, when you're a massive ecosystem, you just have to think a bit differently. And unfortunately, even like big business verticals you have can be victims to the larger success you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Aaron there. Uh, just for people who don't know, ByteDance is on track to make up $100 billion this year, right? Like in terms of top line revenue, which is maybe a few billion off of Meta, right? Like, so we're talking about one of the largest revenue generating companies in the world. So Given that, it certainly just seems like one of those focus points as they as they move in that direction. I I think especially with how the macro economy is going, we're seeing a lot of this refocusing. And it's more about getting the executives you want, who you know can ship products into the right groups, and making sure if that's gaming, that's great. If not, whatever. I am curious though what the trickle down effects are because we do know that the TikTok, for example, is has a big gaming push inside of their ecosystem. Does this affect that? My guess is not at all. <laughs> I think this, it's a little bit like you can't really project what Amazon's doing based on what Amazon's doing. You know, like it's like, yeah, like there's so many people and there's so many divisions and so many KPIs. Who the hell knows? I think you're right, Seb. Like they're, they may be stepping back from game development and game publishing, but they're not leaving gaming altogether. They have this massive like UA distribution arm that touches gaming that I think it would be foolish for them to just set aside. It's, it seems to be doing quite well. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of different angles to this that I think you all kind of touched on. Some of it could be you know, macroeconomic slowdown in China. Some of it could be like another case of big tech tries to do gaming and fails. There's a lot of, a lot of different angles we could sort of analyze this from. But I think the TLDR is like, Newverse didn't quite work out, but they're not going to leave gaming entirely. How they remain uh, remains to be seen, let's say. Are you guys bullish or bearish on, with gaming on TikTok? I know they're doing interesting things that, you know, are like, it's like a, a new generation of instant games that, you know, people were raving about a few years ago. But do you think it'll translate into revenue success or does it even matter for them? I'm bullish. I, I just think it's unfortunate that I'm bullish because the trend lines would suggest I should be bearish, but I just happen to be bullish. Like, <laughs> like it didn't work for Snap, right? Like Pani left Snap. It didn't work for other people. But I just fundamentally, philosophically believe that gaming and consumer should be married and therefore will continue to bet in that direction that it's going to work out for them eventually. Although maybe not to the revenue scale of selling <laughs> items. No, I'm just, I'm just surprised they weren't able to leverage you know, all the data they have at TikTok, all the stuff that they could do for UA, potentially with such a captive audience and such a strong algorithm that they weren't able to find some way to leverage that for gaming in a time when UA is like one of the biggest struggles that they just couldn't find an angle there that was like worth pursuing, like as a competitive advantage over a lot of the other 
like mobile market in general. Obviously, it's on mobile, right? That's where you're looking at TikTok. The mobile market struggling. Like it seemed like, I mean, maybe the privacy stuff was just too much, and the the issues with uh, the U.S. government when it comes to like by dance and that whole like thing going on. Maybe that was just they're just like, ah, oh, let's just back away from all that. But as you said, just maybe a scale issue. It just seemed like a surprise that like I bullish like Sebastian, and they just they couldn't find a way to like make it work right now. Maybe later on, but it seemed like a good opportunity. We do have another interesting shakeup at the, and of course, as Matt said, not truly interesting in the good way, interesting in the spectator popcorn sort of way, where there's some some, some shakeups, I guess you could put it, happening over in sort of the Web3 space with Shrapnel and Neon. Take that way. Yeah. So if you haven't seen yet, this is just an interesting thing to look into, which is that Shrapnel's six of their co-founding directors are suing their other controlling shareholder. The details are going to come out eventually. But for the time being, just know that there's a, clearly a board fight. Governance does matter. Um, like If there's two takeaways from this, is one, Shrapnel has, is a really interesting spot. They just raised a lot of money. They've raised you know, tens of millions of dollars already. Their game isn't out. It's not close to be out. Right, like Full plan release is still over a year away, I think, or maybe seven to eight months away. That said, there is a fight at the director level. We'll see what happens. Corporate governance does matter. Like founders also matter, of course, like picking the right founders, making sure everything that's really important. But do know that corporate governance does matter, which I think we lost a lot of sight of, especially in the craze of the last few years. And we're starting to see some of the consequences of that in the last little bit here. So uh, links in the notes. Highly recommend just reading about it. Long story short, it's a lawsuit. Whenever you see a lawsuit in startups, that means a lot of things broke down prior to the lawsuit because you just don't like suing each other. Yeah, I think this is a lesson that prominent Sams in the the tech world have have learned over the past year or so. But also, like I have a, this type of thing happens more as a result of down cycles of certain types too, where. Typically, as long as valuations are going up, everyone's raising money, everything is good. But as we've talked about before, when when you're faced with down rounds or just valuation resets, it messes up your cap table, incentives get skewed, people are upset, these types of, of actions become more prominent. So I, I pretty much guarantee you that there's more of this type of behavior lurking in the background <laughs> all over the tech industry and the games industry. Hopefully not, you know, as frequently to this this extreme. But I just have a feeling that we'll see more of these types of stories emerge, whether it's like this exact flavor, perhaps not, but more more governance shakeups, you know, management buyouts, all sorts of you know ripple effects that are a byproduct of harder downtimes paired with strange governance quirks. For sure. Well, w- one thing I will say about crypto in particular, because I've seen some of those deals, is that there are some extrinsities in terms of whether tokens are securities. And as a result, people have moved them around. So we'll see what happens there. I think that is going to be something that we'll see bite people in the butt for the next X number of days, years, months. Yeah. As you said, Aaron, like something we'll see more frequently. And I think Web3 is probably an area that's a little bit of a magnet for it as people kind of like look to figure out what to do with those investments, maybe did or didn't work out. It's a little frustrating as someone who believes in the future of Web3 to see something that is like not game related at all. Once again, you know, sort of shoot, shoot itself in the foot. 
but regardless of whether you're bullish on shrapnel as a game or not, it just, it sucks to like see the potentially see the actual product impacted by stuff that really doesn't have anything to do with the game itself. Uh, it's more like, you know, as, as Seb was saying, like board governance and things like that. It's it just frustrating. Like there's nothing to be done as a fan, but I just wish that Web3 would kind of get its act together and, you know, put out some good games instead of doing this kind of, I don't know, whatever this is. I think we all kind of expect these sort of growing pains with any any space, right? Like it's unfortunate, right? And, and you know, there's going to be casualties and, and other things and, and messiness, and but good stuff will grow out of it too. So we, we'll, we'll look back at this in a few years and be like, oh yeah, I remember that shrapnel thing. Yeah, whatever, you know. But for right now, it sucks for them. But in the meantime, as you said, they, they, they're still working on the game. It's, it's a ways off. Early access next month, I believe. So, you know, which next month meaning like, what, two, three days from now? So should be uh, should be pretty interesting to see how that game's going. But in the meantime, we actually got some other insight from some, some game analysis on the academic side. Paper you ran across, Sebastian, that you want to share? Yeah, this is really cool. I, I love academic papers in general. I think they are really cool to look at. Some people with very different non- like business-related insights come through it. Effectively, Gandhi et al., it's a paper coming out of UCLA with the third author being from Riot Games. They analyze around 3 million different League of Legends games to measure different outcomes and how engagement works. It's a really cool paper. I highly recommend reading it. If you don't read it, you can find some blurbs that we've tossed into notes. I've also wrote about it on a couple of platforms myself. Some really cool insights. The, the paper is called Beliefs that Entertain. What was really cool is that it seems as though winning doesn't matter in terms of engagement, which I thought was pretty cool. That's a little bit counterintuitive. They found that higher engagement occurs when people are actually behind in the game, regardless of whether they win or lose the game. And they measured basically the engagement as a function of are they willing to play another game within an hour of completing the previous game? And they looked at different probabilities from different stages. Other cool insights, you saw a bunch of stuff around how people prefer to have uh, suspense versus surprises. And that's actually really interesting because that's something that I feel like as a game developer, I always screw up in my head, which is you want people to have anticipation as opposed to being surprised by the outcome itself. So really cool paper. It's still a working paper. Hasn't been, I think, fully published in any major journals quite yet, but highly recommend to read. I think it's really cool. I There's like a lot to talk about it. By one, in the interest of time, I'll, I'll pause there. Well, I hope I hope someone like Valve can also do like kind of a follow up sort of research thing as well, because like obviously League of Legends is is a bit of a specific game. They have a ton of data and a ton of players, but like I, I hope that that stuff translates across other games because uh, you know Counter Strike obviously has a huge huge player base, and I imagine that Valve could provide a ton of data and also Dota as well to provide some like a, a parallel game that may or may not. Like prove that obviously you know replication is a big part of science so i'm really curious to see if they could replicate that but in the meantime good read for the weekend right yeah Something for to sure chew on. W- one thing i will note is that there is a great line inside this paper that i think is something that we should all talk about and think about which is that uh, despite the fact that a lot of people play video games like economic research on leisure and video game leisure in particular is an incredibly under-researched ecosystem We've seen some research come out of other places, but candidly, you know, UCLA is an amazing, amazing economic department. And for them to focus on this in, is, is a great thing to have. So I, I will say like, it's a really great paper, belief-based utility, something that's really awesome. Uh, it, it touches upon loss aversion. Highly recommend to read. 
hopefully all those on-chain games Matt's always writing about will be able to provide a lot more transparent data for these kind of researchers, right? The future that's validatable because it's on-chain. But in the meantime, we actually wanted to do some validating of our own. We wanted to go through and do some awarding here in the, uh, the sort of award season of games. It's sort of on the business side in terms of like, you know, people making good decisions, bad decisions, some, some games, some studios, things like that. So we all kind of just going to go through a few different categories, some nominations, discuss them. So I'll just kind of start in order and then we'll kind of change up the order. I guess with each one, just to keep it interesting. So we'll just start right off with the, the biggest winner, company or studio, starting with Matt. For me, the biggest winner, the, the the thing that really jumped out to me first when I was reading this category was Larian Studios and Baldur's Gate 3. Probably they aren't the biggest winner in terms of revenue or commercial success, but to me, this game is really a masterpiece. And, you know, they bet on themselves and they really doubled down on what they believed in, which was, you know, their, their way of making games, no microtransactions, really long early access period, developing with the community, staying true to the IP of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And they put together like an amazing game that has, you know, an insane level of detail, a really, you know, great replayability for what it is, a single player game, largely, I guess you can do co-op, which I've heard is very good. I have not tried it myself. And it's, it's really like bucking the trend. We'll come back to this in one of the later categories, but it's not a, you know, live service game. It's not a microtransaction loot box situation. It's, it's a good old single player RPG and it's, it's beautifully done. So that's my biggest winner. Gotta love seeing quality and dedication and like actual passion behind something winning out for once, right? Aaron, what's, what's your biggest winner? Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to want to say is that like these awards are not real we're not handing out plaques or anything so before anyone gets grumpy in in my email which i know would totally happen we came up with this a day ago we're just having fun but if you think we're wrong about something let us know if you have feedback on like the categories or or what we're doing let us know too maybe we can sharpen it up be more official in future years or something but to to answer your question devin the the biggest winner to me i think is Scopely. They were acquired earlier this year for $4.9 billion, which is not the, the largest you know, acquisition of, of the year, which of course is Activision by Xbox. But this still, I believe, is the sixth largest video game acquisition of all time. I, I think that's right, the last I looked. But not only did they you know, have that great exit outcome for the business, but they followed it up by releasing Monopoly Go, which became the largest mobile hit in a very, very long time and just propelled them to just definitively be one of the largest mobile gaming companies in the world and, you know, definitely top in in North America. So I think it's been an incredible year for them of just those two back-to-back achievements that is hard to top in my mind. Sounds like they passed go a couple of times. <laughs> I'm so sad I went third. We don't talk about this beforehand and legitimately Aaron took mine because I, I will agree that Scopely is definitely one. If not Scopely, I think the answer is Activision Blizzard if only because Activision Blizzard and is, is a company that managed to get their acquisition done. That's pretty much all you can say in this ecosystem right now. What more can you say other than that? Like, it is not a, the case that we are bigger and better than trying to get an acquisition done in this ecosystem right now. So I will. I think they're all close, but if I had to rank them, I would probably have, you know, Scopely one, Activision Blizzard two. I like how he stole yours, so you stole mine, Sebastian. Thanks. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I'll add to the Activision Blizzard thing that I think not only did they finish the acquisition, didn't sound like the compromises were too much on their side outside of the Call of Duty part. Like it didn't seem to affect a lot of the rest of the business. Yeah, maybe the the cloud side, the streaming side, but that, that wasn't really going to affect like the Blizzard side. But Blizzard side, especially also like they 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 put out a game that was maybe not the best Diablo that they've ever done, but made plenty of money off it. Put out probably, you know, one of the more subpar Call of Duty Modern Warfare's recently. Still made tons of money off of it. And now they just get to go quietly into the night of Microsoft and kind of like Bethesda, where they just kind of get to, you know, do whatever now at this point. Obviously, like being acquired, you know, might mean changes and everything. But I think at this point, this is a great sunsetting almost in a way for them in terms of like they're at a place where, you know, maybe they should just move on to, being part of a bigger entity and now Bobby Kotick can, you know, move off into the night as well. And we can see what Microsoft can do with the company. So I think it's a, a good ending in a way, but we'll see what it, what it means for uh, next year. Speaking of uh, that topic in general, we've got the opposite side here, the biggest loser in terms of who just didn't, didn't work out so great this year, but we'll, we'll change up the order a little bit. We'll start with Aaron. Sure. So I, I have a feeling there are a handful of possible answers here, but the one I'll throw out is Embracer, which, you know, went from being a a kingmaker, you know, acquisition extraordinaire, you know, had dreams of being a large, you know, holding company and an ecosystem uh, of many types. And that dream has unfortunately started to unravel in major ways. And, you know, over the past few months, they've been, in the process of layoffs, divesting, all of that, not fun stuff. So I think, you know, in terms of one company that's kind of had to hit the reset button, that's probably the most prominent one and in my mind. And hopefully, you know, this isn't just to like dunk on people, but hopefully they are able to kind of effectively hit the reset button. And, you know, over the next couple of years, you know, we have like a category for, you know, like best turnaround that they can kind of find their find their footing and find their their way back to growth and profitability and just like big hits sooner than later. Uh, Embracer tops my list. Hopefully the companies underneath it don't end up biggest losers as well and they get you know get to the right place in that obviously that's the, uh, the downside of their strategy is that a lot of other people are impacted. But uh, we'll see what Sebastian's got to say here. Hopefully that wasn't the same answer for you. It was the same answer for me, but yeah, that's fine. I, I'm I'm always happy when Aaron and I are aligned in in our vision and, and thought around this type of stuff. You know, I, I will say the 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 biggest loser in a lot of ways is literally <laughs> this is gonna sound really bad because I don't want to dunk on people, but I think the biggest loser in twenty twenty three are the games that didn't ship. Right. I think as a rule of thumb, if you aren't able to ship your game and you run out of money, you're in really bad shape. And so we don't know quite yet what the biggest losers in twenty twenty three are. In all honesty, but there are a lot of Web3 companies that are raising money right now, and it is not quite there. And they're not going to be able to get a thing out. They barely got out their vertical slice. They're not going to be able to raise a lot more money. And so in a lot of ways, the AAA studios that raised money in 21, the Web3, I or single I studios that raised in 21 as well, who spent 18 months working on a vertical slice to find an ecosystem that wants an actual product versus a vertical slice, I would say... That, as a rule of thumb, if you didn't ship a game after raising 21, you are the biggest loser of 2023. It's interesting you say that, Seb, because I feel like this year has had such a glut of amazing games that got released. There was a chart, I forget where where I saw it, but it was like number of uh, 90 plus Metacritic releases by year. And 
2023 was like way higher than all the rest. And, you know, one of the hypotheses for that was that a lot of games got delayed during mm-hmm. COVID. They all kind of got pushed into 2023. So it's interesting to hear your other side of it, which is like, you're a big loser if you didn't get it out this year, because everyone is pushing it out this year. Yeah, no, one one of the hardest things about gaming, just to rip on that in particular, is that especially AAA and AAA games take about four to six years to make. And the problem with that typically is that you just can't predict what the future looks like in two to four, four, six, eight years. Especially, let's say, say you're making trying to make a AAA, if you're trying to make a AAA MMORPG, the fastest I've seen it get done is four years. And that's with a bunch of people who are burnt out in Asia, right? Like that is the utmost there. For everyone else, it's just, takes a long time. And so if you expected, and we started seeing a lot of this over the last six months or so, but if you expected to have eight, take all your money, spend it in 18 months after raising, and then be able to use that to raise more money, there are a lot of losers in that game right now because you're just unable to raise money because interest rates have changed, everything has changed, right? And so given that I can't emphasize enough that you should take a step back, and that certainly is one of the hardest things to do this year. In terms of game development woes, I think Matt's I think got the other big target here. If you want to jump into that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest loser probably on a lot of our listeners' minds has got to be Unity, right? Definitely the biggest loser in the PR game this year. Just, you know, I, w- I won't run through like all the sort of blunders that they, they've had, but you know, around the time, or just before they made the announcement on the runtime fees, they were something like, I don't know, $38 a share. And then they took a nosedive down to like 25 a share. And I think just this morning, they announced they're going to do another round of layoffs. And that brought the share price back up to like $30 a share. Unfortunately, more layoffs in the industry. I think Aaron's pick Embracer also announced some layoffs earlier this week. So that's going to be a theme that we're going to see throughout these awards, probably. Unity, the biggest loser, in my opinion, just like the backlash was swift and intense and while I don't think they're going to go anywhere anytime soon, just because of their market position and, and how easy it is to use Unity and how much it's taught in you know, development programs, and all that stuff, long term, you know, I think they've done some damage to their brand and their reputation. We'll, we'll see where they go from there. One of the craziest things about this topic, real quickly, is that I think a common response to what we saw at OpenAI and now what we're seeing at Shrapnel is that your board is awful, they're out to get you, they hate you. That, I think, is the wrong takeaway. The right takeaway is that you should surround yourself with people you trust and have really good opinions and are willing to tell you that you're wrong. Because if you have a board that does that, you get to avoid decisions like happened at Unity. The board signed off on that decision. There's like no way the board wouldn't have signed off on that major of a decision, which makes you wonder, hey, make sure that you have a group of people you're working with who not only have the ability to affect your decision, but also that you trust your decision. And so one fun fact that we take away from not only Unity, but also OpenAI, Shrapno, everyone, everywhere else, is that a board is a double-edged sword. You can have a really good board that can help you make really good decisions. You can also have a board that screws you, either by pushing you into decisions you don't want to make, and also by like not allowing you to stop making decisions that would really be harmful to you. Yeah, I was I was just going to say, too, that I actually feel pretty good about <laughs> Unity turning the ship around from here. I'm not that worried about the 
the kind of the trust and branding point longer term, which might sound a little crazy and tone deaf for now. But I think that just a lot of the decisions that they're making to kind of refocus back on what they do best and what matters most and doing it in a more profitable way is going to set them up to kind of serve their core purpose better in in the future. So I so yeah, <laughs> yeah, he definitely is a big loser of the year. There's no question about it. But it wouldn't surprise me 2024, 20, 2025 20, if they kind of come around as one of the largest winners in a sense. But last thing last thing I'll say on this before we move to other topics. When you were getting abstract with it a bit, Seb, I thought you were going to say that like the biggest loser is like the people who are like affected by all of these like layoffs and stuff, which I think is another like valid answer uh, that might creep its way into other other categories. But I would actually wager to say that kind of what you classified as largest loser, those who haven't shipped their games, that might actually be like as a category, <laughs> the largest loser like next year as, you know, they just have to kind of fight through and struggle through managing cash flows and fundraises and all that kind of stuff. Maybe they're starting to see the pressures, but next year's might when it might be when it hits the hardest. Yeah, uh, that, that you're completely right. I, I will say, and people aren't going like this take because it is too much of a hot take at times, which is that I think generally speaking, like turnover is not a bad thing. Uh, it's hard to recognize in the moment, but I think it's very similar to games like poker or ecosystems where you have a lot of winning and losing, which is that like, yes, instability sucks. It sucks for you as a person who are seeking stability, but we should remember in gaming in particular, because this might be the first cycle for some of the people who are new to the industry, this is a really common cycle. You work on a game, it goes really gangbusters. And if it doesn't, you got laid off. Like That is the ecosystem you opted into. I think there's debate right now whether that should be the ecosystem. I actually think it's a reasonable ecosystem because that's the ecosystem of entertainment that's worked for like movies and television. I think it could work for gaming as well. We're a hit-driven industry. And so uh, my emphasis to everyone who's affected by this is just, hey, take a step back, enjoy your holidays, figure out a way to like financially support yourself, consider leaving the industry at least for a little bit if you need to find more stable employment. But subsequently, that we should talk more openly to people who are coming into this space that, hey, and be honest and transparent, we have 18 months to a vertical slice. If the vertical slice does poorly, we go bankrupt and we call it a day and we, go, we try again another time. The people I see who really succeed in the space aren't the ones who never failed in gaming. They're often the ones who are willing to stick it out. And it's not because sticking it out is necessarily a plus plus positive thing. It's just that if you really enjoy working on it, you should just assume that something like a high percentage of the projects you work on fail. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you should not work in that genre of gaming or that genre of ecosystems. It's just unfortunate when it happens. Uh, I think it's a surprise. I think it's the biggest thing, right? And the instability when you just <clears throat> the, the number of teams that have shipped a game and then been fired before it even hits the market that those are the real sad stories right where you're like oh cool let's see how it does oh wait never mind we'll, we'll find out from the sidelines but it, you know it, it, it as you said is kind of the standard for the industry and maybe we could fix it maybe we can't but at least hopefully people had fun working on games but uh, yeah i was gonna go with unity as well and i think aaron you're probably right only because like uh they're kind of a captive audience unless people are gonna go to godot or switch over to unreal what's the choice <laughs> at the end of the day like uh I, i'm glad they threw a uh, ceo as a sacrifice and i think that was probably the thing that helped kind of 
let us move past it. And then, all right, cool. We're good now. But I did want to throw uh, you know, one on there as well. That was kind of like my runner up, which is, I feel like probably doesn't get mentioned enough, which is uh payday three and Starbreeze. I feel like they kind of bet everything on that game. Like they restructured everything. They really focused everything. Like, look, payday two was like our only real thing that we could make work. Like we really need payday three to like be the thing. They made money off of it to an extent, but I think they kind of torched their cash cow and I wouldn't, be surprised to see layoffs come at Starbreeze next. I, I don't see a strong future for them. And it's like, yeah, they shipped, but should they have? I don't know. Like maybe they had to. So I just feel like that was for, for a franchise uh, that had a lot of potential, you know, big loser to me, but start with you this time, Sebastian for biggest surprise. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest surprise of this year has to be just straight up interest rates and its effect on a lot of different companies. And so the the thing that I assumed last year was that people were paying attention <laughs> to interest rates and that they're paying attention to risk of ruin and paying attention to the idea of that hurdle rates change as improvements go through. Uh, to summarize really quickly that concept, if you're Base, if, if interest rates are 0%, your hurdle rate, the amount of money you need to make on your money, is lower because you just have to make more money than no money. But if interest rates are like 5% or 6%, where if I do nothing, I will make 6%, your hurdle rate is a multiplication between the return you have times the probability of the return. And so I think the biggest surprise for me is just that gaming as a result of that was, did not anticipate the fact that, hey... If you only succeed 5%, 10% of the time, your hurdle rate for outcomes has to be so high in order for you to succeed. And what's weird to me is I always tell people all the time that you know if you're a genius, you're six months ahead of the curve. And if you're an idiot, you're six months behind the curve. We're now 12 months plus into the curve. And so it's just unclear if, if at some point you're like, you're not being dumb, you're being malicious, right? And so there are some people in the space who are continuing to change their worldview and continue to go through on a path that's just not sustainable. And I think that's the biggest surprise to me. I would imagine at some point you have to take a step back and say, hey, these businesses aren't working. The people who are doing them know they're not working and they're continuing to do them for some reason. We should investigate this. And so that I think is the biggest surprise that we haven't seen more of a trajectory change from a lot of the companies in the gaming space over the last year. I guess the trajectory change was layoffs this point and, and downsizing and refocusing as they like to put it but, uh, for sure and and they and certainly they should keep doing that but it, it just blows my mind because there are just some business models that just don't work when interest rates are this high and uh, i've heard from very intelligent people where they're like hey i think that interest rates are going to drop precipitously and it's like, it's, if that happens, we're in a recession and there's a lot of other bad things that have occurred, right? And we talked about this with Aaron last time I was on. Uh, you can't expect the world to change that quickly. Like COVID doesn't happen all the time, one would hope. And it's weird to see a bunch of key decision makers make that point. And the answer almost certainly is that they're incentivized to, that they're not dumb. They know that this is not working, but that their incentive structure is such that you should keep perpetuating this idea as opposed to looking for a way to win. In poker, if you're drawing dead, you're drawing dead, right? But a lot of these companies, a lot of these executives aren't drawing dead. They do have a 5% chance of turning it around. I just find it super surprising they're not taking it. Well, we saw a lot of people betting on the Fed pivot like really early on and continue to do so and continue to do so. So there's definitely, you know, bad money chasing after bad. So it's 
I guess we're not, it's not surprising we're in this situation now. Just hopefully 2024 is kind of the year where we start turning around a little bit. Some of those people that got laid off start start up new studios, things like that. But uh, Matt, we'll go, we'll go to you next for your biggest surprise. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not the biggest surprise to everyone, but for me, the surprise was the dominance of AAA single-player experiences, kind of a throwback to the games industry of old. You know, games like Baldur's Gate, I already mentioned, but Zelda, Spider-Man 2, Starfield, I'm sure there are uh, many that I'm, I'm forgetting here, but, you know, as someone who comes from mobile gaming and games as a service primarily, like... These it was kind of a breath breath of fresh air, you know. Like these aren't live service games; they're not doing microtransactions, but they're beautiful experiences. They tell a story, and they performed really well commercially. And so, to me, that was the biggest surprise after several years of you know live services and and you know endless uh, you know Fortnites and Call of Duties and you know no shade at those games; they're very successful. But that was like the dominant model. It still is the dominant model, but at least this year with all the amazing single player experiences that came out, those sort of stole the show, in my opinion. And that was the biggest surprise for me. Yeah, for me, I mean, I would I would agree with Matt, especially with Baldur's Gate 3 just popping off to the degree that it did. That that definitely surprised me. But probably the other answer, and this is a bit repetitive, is just <laughs> what Unity did with its runtime fees and just choosing to shoot itself in the foot. Like, it's so surprising, even now, after it's all unfolded, that they would actually choose to do that versus other options that they that they had. And of course we don't have to rehash that again, but <laughs> but man, that's that's going to be surprising to me for for a long time that they kind of chose to hit the self-destruct button with that. You did actually make me think of another one, uh, Matt though, like that I hadn't originally put, but like the Super Mario Brothers movie being part of that as well. I I don't think anyone expected one. that. Like after like the previous one you know, like people were probably just like, ah, yeah, Super Mario Bros. Yeah, people are a little excited. Maybe it'll do okay. And just blew everyone away the amount of money that made. I, was I think Nintendo had a lot of wins this year. You know, Zelda right? was quite successful. The, what was it? The Super Nintendo World or whatever, the theme park opened True, up earlier yeah. this year. Both, both uh, obviously Japan the movie and was very successful. US. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they just announced, what, like a couple of weeks ago, the Zelda movie is going to be coming at some point. So uh, Nintendo's on, on a hot streak right now. Hopefully they can keep it up because this is like late stage switch and they tend to fit flub every other console. So maybe, maybe switch two is where we see them take a little bit of a turn. Hopefully not. Uh, I would love to see them knock two in a row out of the park, especially now that they've kind of merged sort of mobile and I mean the, the handheld and console because they were kind of like alternating a little bit there. Uh, as long as it's not a virtual boy moment, hopefully it'll be a great one for, for Nintendo and to switch two. I actually, I had a little bit of a kind of a different random one where the big surprise for me was just kind of out of nowhere, the Apex Mobile Legends or Apex Legends Mobile, like just pulling it out. Just, it was a big release. Everyone was excited about it. It was really well done, uh, executed on like a very difficult game to port over to mobile. Everyone was like, cool, this could be the next Call of Duty Mobile. And then just like, it wasn't very long before it just joined right out, just gone. And it wasn't like, it was just a complete failure. There was like a lot of things going on behind the scenes and stuff like that. But I think it was a pretty big surprise to not, really take the time to turn that game around to find some way to salvage that. Obviously they have some other plans in mind, but like that's a, I think that's a pretty big investment and a pretty big deal to just take a game of that caliber, both brand wise and quality in terms of like the amount of development and stuff like that. And just be like, no, take it off the store. And we obviously haven't seen a follow-up to that yet. So I was at EA when this happened. So I won't comment like on what was happening in the company, but I think it's interesting. The reason that this is a surprise to a lot of people 
was, and this is a bit of a meta commentary here, but it was because it won these Game of the Year awards. And I know, I fully recognize we're doing an end of year award show right now. I actually wrote a piece along with Jen Donahoe for our friends at Deconstructor of Fun about award shows specifically for mobile or mobile gaming end of the year awards and how they really don't mean anything from a business standpoint. And, and to me, like this all factors in, right? Like Apex getting canceled was a surprise because it won game of the year from Apple and Google. And it was this beautiful game. And, you know, it, it ran fairly smoothly. Like it, it translated the like kind of fast pace uh, traversal of Apex HD to mobile. It was like a beautiful game. Um, but from a business standpoint, it wasn't hitting the mark for EA. And, and to those of us who are on the inside, maybe it wasn't as surprising. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but yeah. Interesting meta commentary there that, you know, the award shows, you know, our awards that we're giving out today may not prevent any of these games from getting canceled in the future. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Maybe I was a little behind the curve, but like, I remember when Genshin Impact, like one or Google side of things, and I was like, I haven't heard of this game and then blew up after that. And I don't know if there was any relation or anything like that, but that's like one where I've seen the opposite, right? Where like maybe it didn't mean something necessarily in terms of pushing it, but I, I think it got also a lot of people to check out the game out of curiosity. What is this game I've never heard of that just won this thing? I mean, that was that was me and I imagine a lot of other people, maybe not. Like I said, maybe I'm just behind the curve on that one, but I feel like that was a moment where I was like, what, what? And then just after that, just took off hard. Whereas like Marvel Snap was just like, yeah, of course they only won something, whatever. Like they're doing well, it's fine. Yeah, but, this is a bit of a tangent, but like the the timing of the awards being given out also influences that because I also looked at Genshin and it won some awards like the year it came out, but it also won some awards the next year. Which just It's just really strange the way they time these awards announcements. So that also plays into it. But anyways, it's unrelated. It's, it's like all the Oscar movies coming out in December or putting them back out in theaters, you know, that whole sort of thing. We're trying to like game the awards a little bit. But uh, speaking of like the timing and everything like that, trend of the year is what we want to look at next in terms of, you know, obviously we've talked about that a little bit throughout the year, but we would take a broader perspective. We'll uh, we'll start with you again, Matt. Sure. So, uh, you know, going to ring the, the layoff spell here again. To me, this was the trend of the year. I also, well, I'll, I'll save that comment because I see some other folks have my backup choice here as the trend of the year. But like, I'm sympathetic to the argument that there are good things that come from turnover that Yes, we've experienced a lot of layoffs in the industry, but compared to say tech broadly or gaming historically, it's actually not you know as as large as it could be. I'm sympathetic to those arguments. I understand them. That doesn't make it any less of a trend. And part of that is the way that games journalism has evolved as well to cover these sorts of things and sort of put them front and center and and shine a, a light on what's happening in sort of gaming employment generally. Uh, yes, I'm using the term evolved loosely, but uh, yeah, for me, industry layoffs was was the was and is the trend of the year because it's continued throughout the entire year up to and including today uh, with the Unity layoffs that were just announced. So it's going to keep happening, unfortunately, which which really sucks because we're going into the holidays. But I, I would foresee this to be a thing, maybe even into 2020. Um, for me, that was the biggest trend. Well, hopefully, it's uh, it's the end or close to it, right? I would hate to be talking about the same thing again next year. Uh, just be a big bummer. Hopefully, Aaron, you've got one that's maybe a little bit less of a of a downer. <laughs> nope, I, I I agree with Matt. I think I think 2023 viewing it as like a great reset year is absolutely the the trend of the year. And to me, it's just a question of like, is 2024 going to be different? Right? Like, 
uh, I'm, I'm curious what, what if you guys have different answers for this, but to me, it's more interesting just to think about like, what's it going to be next? Like, is it, are we just, are we going to have kind of back to back years of it, of it being a prolonged reset? Or is it going to bounce back? Like, is there going to be some very clear catalyst that moves the industry in like another direction? Like, is is the AI frenzy like finally going to be become more than something people just kind of talk about and actually like be embedded more into more projects and that be the next trend? I'm not sure, but I, I totally totally agree with Matt on this one. Well, I think I think me and Sebastian's one then might be a little related in some ways to yours. Want to go, Sebastian? I don't want to relate it to that. That sounds really depressing. No, AI is the biggest trend of the year, and it's not even close. I think everyone else is wrong. <laughs> like, it's just look, AI as a tech has been around for a long time. As a as applied to gaming, it's been something really interesting. But we're seeing acceleration, and it's fundamentally changing how a lot of game studios are being built, as far as I can tell. For me personally, it's completely changed my heuristics around funding of game studios and game ideas. Right, like we're we're seeing. Basically, in, in my opinion, the first domino of AI is that we're going to be able to get things to market faster with fewer people and test out the ideas a lot faster. That, to me, is by all accounts a no-brainer. We talked earlier on the show about how gaming historically has four, six, eight-year lead times. If we can shrink that down, you're talking about a world in which people are making content that is almost real-time like TikTok. That is the biggest trend line in gaming for 2023, and it's going to get even bigger in 2024. You can't say AI without UGC, but at the same time, it's this movement away from the idea or the promise of what the metaverse was supposed to be, which is, hey, everyone can live in virtual worlds, to the reality of, hey, we actually have the ability to generate content pretty quickly now, which is freaking awesome. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like if you tie this to layoffs in the other way, it's that like the budgets and the costs of making games just keeps going up so much. It's like, this is almost going to have to be like a reflect reflexive thing on that, where it's like, we need to find a way to like cut costs, not to fire people just so we can stay in business. You know, when you talk about the interest rates and all the other things that people are struggling with. And obviously Sebastian as well, you're, you're, you're pretty close to the metal when it comes to uh, using AI for games, right? You with your business startup and stuff like that, actually using that. But I think there'll be parts of it that is maybe a little overblown, as is with any new technology, right? Like we're excited about it doing everything and it'll do some of it really well, some of it pretty poorly, and then it'll change from there, right? But I think I, I kind of miss the days when game studios were like 10 people, 20 people, and you make a game in a couple of years. And now that's just indie, right? Which is like not quite the same. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd love for AI to just re-enable that instead of these layoffs being like this mass exodus of people from the industry. It's like now a whole bunch of people could start up these smaller studios with AI to help them leverage. In fact, Broken Sword was a great example of that. For those of you who remember the old adventure game Broken Sword, they made a comeback. And the only reason they were able to kind of like bring that game back was using AI stuff to help them be able to bring back that level of animation with the, the kind of budget and stuff that they had. That's an example right there of like the kind of thing I'd like to see more often to help like this be a good thing. There, there are two quick things I will say about AI, which are one, in the history of tech, we've seen effectively an expansion of necessity of information in order to make things, right? So if you go back 30, 40 years, if you understood a bit of electrical engineering and understood like basic computer programming, you could effectively make a game because like the states and necessities of like research in order to make a game was so small, you and a team of three or four guys and gals can ship a game. As things became more complex and as you need to know set theory and linear algebra and understand OpenGL, 
like the explosion of necess- necessary people to make a really high quality game increased the point where you need large teams. AI represents a contraction where the technology has got to the point where we can do more with fewer people. That's a really important thing. It's not just linearly scaling. That's awesome. That's super cool. The second thing, though, which I think is also applicable just to the macro of game development, is that it was never going to be linear forever, right? I think one of the things that we talked about last time that I can't emphasize enough is there is only so much money in the world. You can't have an exponential growth curve indefinitely. If you do, you just run out of money. And so we knew that this type of correction would happen. And it's been really cool to see it happen in real time. Hopefully it ends up being a good thing, right? That's that's all we can hope is that, but it'll be a mixed bag because everything is. But at the end of the day, like hopefully people will be able to. In the meantime, though, let's go straight on to best move, Aaron. Yeah. So I'm gonna pick the launch of UEFN by Epic as the best move. It's not, you know, an acquisition or an investment or anything like that, but it's a major pivot by one of our industry's most important companies that fundamentally is changing their direction and trajectory of what they could be. And it's definitely been off to a maybe like a rockier, slower start than many people expected who just had very high hopes for what UEFN can be. But I think, you know, if you give it some time and you're a little bit patient, it's a pivot. It's a it's a shrewd move that could be worth tens of billions, if not more, in the future. So big moves from Epic. Definitely. Hopefully a lot of creators profiting from that in the near future and Roblox, you know, having competition. Sebastian, what do you got though? Yeah, I think this one's a little bit underreported, but I actually thought that the acquisition of uh, Rovio, which I think happened this year, like correct me if I'm wrong, but Sega's acquisition of Rovio was actually pretty awesome. Sega as a company, great legacy brand, added a mobile component to their portfolio uh, it gives them a chance to become relevant. It can stay relevant in 20, the 2020s and beyond. If you think about where they were to where they're trying to get, I, I can't think of another acquisition that may be as influential as Sega's acquisition of Rovio. Matt might have one that he thinks might be as influential. For me, it was the acquisition of Scopely by uh, Savvy Games. You know, I recently listened to the the podcast you did, Aaron, with Javier, which I thought was really good and, and really kind of like changed my opinion on this a little bit. Like the the resources that they can bring to bear now to fund UA, to fund new game development, to push into new platforms. Like we already know Scopely is trying to go uh, cross-platform with some of their new titles. I think it's it's really interesting what they can do with all these additional resources. And if you take the bull case, like Scopely could be the next sort of incumbent mega publisher if they continue to grow that spans all you know mobile console pc uh we'll see if they can get there but to me that was that was a big move for the and look look, they had been a large company for a while that was looking for an exit uh i i think that there was rumors they were trying to go public back during the boom times a couple years ago that didn't happen obviously their next door neighbor jam city tried to go public and didn't and there was a number of other companies just like them that you know, wanted to make that move and just couldn't quite get the timing right or get the funding or whatever. Um, you know, Scopely wrote it out and they they came to a good exit and their position for, you know, a bright future. So to me, that was a, that was a very shrewd business move. Also for they, Savvy, like they get a big yeah. piece, you know? Well, they definitely, it was one of their smarter investments for sure. Like, I mean, we'll see if they could follow Monopoly Go though. I mean, that's a pretty big, big act to follow there. <laughs> Obviously, there's gonna be high expectations of whatever they put out next at this point. My mine was 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 almost half a joke, but also kind of serious at the same time. Which was just Blizzard finally shutting down Overwatch League. That just 
that needed to be killed. That was not going to happen. And and the opposite of a of a best move was was probably just Overwatch two from them. <laughs> not a great move overall, but uh, you know they're moving on. As I said, the acquisition finished, so we'll see what they do from here. But speaking of which, let's go to best turnaround and see what we got here. We'll start with Sebastian. Yeah, I, I think the best turnaround we've saw was actually Monopoly Go. I don't know if you guys have been watching or if you're privy to it, but Monopoly Go has been a project that's been in the works. The fact that it was having difficulty shipping and then shipped to be this like monster winner. Hell yeah. One of the coolest moves we've seen. Great turnaround. Uh, real quick, runner-up. Actually, I'll let everyone else go. And then I'll, I'll tell you the runner-up if they don't mention it. All right, Matt, throw it out. For me, it's got to be Cyberpunk. You know, Cyberpunk has recovered from its you know, bug-filled launch. Look, it was always a great game, in my opinion. Like, I played it when it came out on PS4, so like the old generation, and yeah, it crashed for me a ton, but it's a beautiful game. It's a great story. It's really fun. But yeah, it was basically unfinished. And they've turned it around. They've put out a new DLC. They got Idris Elba in the game now, and it seems to have recovered, at least like they've brought in a, a new wave of interest. They also did a Netflix show, which was kind of kind of fun. So they've reignited interest in this IP, which they, I believe, continue to invest in, and they're going to make new games in. I think initially they were planning on doing some sort of free-to-play multiplayer thing. I don't know if that's still happening. Maybe they've axed that for now, but they have bigger plans for the Cyberpunk IP. We'll see where they take it in the future, but they've at least righted the ship. And so for me, that was the biggest turnaround. Super thankful for that too, because I love the IP and what they've done with it and what the show did with it. And uh, I would hate for that to be the end of that story. What, what you got, Aaron? Yeah, well, I think those are those are great answers. I've been waiting for Cyberpunk, the Ultimate Edition, to come out. I also read, don't quote me on this, but I think the Phantom Liberty expansion had a 24% attach rate, which is which is crazy and shows how much people have come back to or have you know jumped in for the first time. But anyways, my answer is a bit more abstract, and it's non-mobile handheld gaming, which the Steam Deck released last year, and it was sort of a question of like, all right, where is this going? But I think in 2023, we saw the Steam Deck hold up really well and kind of double down on its its long-term future. We've seen other companies now jump in to the the handheld arena for the first time or um, just in new ways, like with the PlayStation Portal, the the ROG Ally, Lenovo Legion Go is just launching. And you know now that the tech is good enough to play most console PC games handheld in a new type of cross-platform kind of way, I think that this year has proven that non-mobile and even non-Nintendo handheld gaming is back across the ecosystem and that it's only going to be gaining share kind of in new ways over the next few years. But 2023, in my mind, really kind of solidified that that viewpoint for me, which is interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that factors in with the, the you know, that Switch 2 sort of thing going on. And because Nintendo had kind of dominated that space and now maybe there's competition. It's not like a PSP kind of territory anymore. It's They've actually got to do some real moves. But yeah, my, mine was a little bit of more of a, because I was going to go with Cyberpunk as well, but of course I wanted to have a, a good runner-up just in case. And Battlefield 2042, I know a lot of people still kind of knock, and most of them probably haven't tried the latest version. I personally wasn't a huge fan of like the latest content, but I think they've turned that game around quite a bit. It's fun game to play now. It, it probably isn't going to be a classic like Battlefield 4 was, because that was also a huge disaster on launch, and they managed to write that ship and it became a classic. Probably not going to happen as much just because the same people not there. but. They've turned it around. I was looking at the numbers before we even went on, and 
they they've massively picked up the numbers. I mean, it's dropped a little bit, but you know, Black Friday sales have helped with both that and Battlefield Five. Like that franchise, you know, maybe doesn't have a huge future right now, just due to the state of you know the all the people there, what EA is doing. But you know, I, I, Vince seems to be doing a pretty good job managing things there, and I I think there's some potential there. And it was a, it was a great turnaround for a game that they could have easily just been like, screw it, move on, we'll do the next Battlefield. You know, the way Call of Duty kind of does, just like that game sucked, that's fine, just another next year, who cares? So like, I appreciate that they put the effort back in. Hey, what's up? My runner-up, yeah. since someone brought it up, Baldur's Gate Three. Right. Right, because Baldur's Gate three launched with a lot of bugs three years ago. No one just gives them as much crap because they were like in pre-release for so many years. But that game went from buggy to being fully featured and almost certainly game of the year. Well, then obviously Cyberpunk should have just been early access. Then we all would have been fine. Hundred percent. Like that, that's the biggest takeaway here. You, Cyberpunk. If you're launching a game, always just say it's early access. Do what Dota two did. Be early access for seven years. Right. You just just don't discount it too heavily that you don't get any sales when it's finally out. Well, we'll go around with the last entry here, which is best new entry or uh, upstart of the year. Like it doesn't have to be a brand new company or a brand new game necessarily, but something that really popped off this year unexpectedly, maybe. We'll start with that again. Go back. All right. Well, I'm going to start by bending the rules here a little bit because my entry was CCP announcing the fundraise for their Web3 games, $40 million led by Andreessen Horowitz, I believe. This is a new entry into Web3, let's say. CCP has been around for a long time, making EVE Online. But the sentiment at the time, and I tend to agree with this, is that like there are few, if any, uh, existing gaming companies that are better equipped to make the switch to Web3 than CCP. Because EVE is already like such a, a heavily like a spreadsheet game, like they had an integration with Excel, you know, it's uh, amazing, you know, potential synergies there for Web3. And, you know, they've been active in some of the um, fully on-chain stuff that I've been following. So I'm really fascinated to see what they do with their next project. And, you know, can they kick off another Web3 bull run? We'll see. But for, for me, that was the, the best new entry into the, into the space, at least for CCP, was their, their big fundraise and their big announcement. I think a lot of people too are thinking it's going to be like integrated into the games when it sounded like from what Hilmar was saying in, in Korea that it's going to, it's more around the business model and, and working with developers and things like that. And, and, you know, we had that big web two wave and APIs and then microservices and who knows, maybe they're kicking off the next big wave of like, sort of like tech business integration across services. We'll see. And maybe it comes from games. That would be a pretty interesting twist on things. What do you got, Aaron? Actually, I'll kick it to Seb. I know you have a hard stop in a minute in case you need to jump out before we're we're done i'm also curious what you have to say oh man my mine is also a bit cheating but by far i think this is the biggest thing the biggest game launch that's happened this year and that no one talks about is fc24 the fact that ea sports got rid of fifa and they still did like 100 like 14.5 million users in the first three to four weeks of global launch that's huge. It's a huge coup for them to basically not have to have FIFA on the cover and still get it to be so amazingly big. It's destroying revenue numbers. EA is doing super steady. That was a big risk for everyone involved. They were concerned that the change of name or change of title would uh, be mean that like FIFA would have more power. It's actually a huge blow to FIFA because effectively means that they have less power than EA Sports FC did. It's a really big launch, and and congratulations to EA Sports team for doing this huge launch, and 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 for basically making like probably a billion bucks. Well, we got to keep that train going. What do you got, Aaron? 
those are the the oldest new launches <laughs> that I've heard. I'll go a bit more recent. It's it's not they didn't start this year, but I'll I'll give a shout out to Embark Studios, uh, which is majority owned by Nexon, and they're the team that recently just had a successful open beta for the finals, and which I think will launch fully. I think in December, uh, but but we'll see. Um, but the reason I'm giving them a shout out is not just because the game itself was so successful and open beta and and looks really compelling, but because they were able to ship it with less than a hundred people at the peak of working on that game. And this kind of goes back to what Sebastian was saying earlier in the episode, where you know, teams are starting to have to think about how to be more efficient, that the trajectory of just bigger teams, bigger budgets is unsustainable. And that with new, you know, AI tools, just software tools in general, some teams are starting to figure out how to get more effective efficiently and launch bigger hits with smaller teams and smaller budgets. And I think Embark Studios is like one of the torchbearers of of teams that has figured that out right now. So we'll see, you know, where the finals itself really goes. But this, the, the studio is more than just this one game and what they're building out. But I've been really impressed so far and their ability to kind of chart this new path that I have a feeling many other studios will will learn to follow. I feel like you really teed mine up for me, Aaron. Like, oh, let's hear it. Perfect follow-up to it, which is which is a battle bit. Like, you know, there, there might have been bigger, you know, launches bigger like surprise hits things like that but to go with like i I believe it was a three-person team like you know you're talking about 100 people i'm talking about three people and they're going up against battlefield that was in the middle of struggling you know it's it's that's a pretty big deal and it showed that like graphics aren't everything but it was definitely like hey if we can replicate the same gameplay you like it could be voxels it's fine this could be minecraft battlefield and i think it just showed you know like that constant thing we keep seeing every year, which is like some of these lo-fi games just coming out and, and you know, doing great. So lots of potential there for those three-man teams, especially with that AI stuff we're talking about. Maybe we start to see those come back and this isn't such a shock to us every year in the near future. We'll see. But I want to thank everyone for, I think, an interesting and, and, and pretty fun awards thing. I feel like uh, maybe we didn't even have as much time as we would love to, to really dig into every specific entry. But I think a lot of, a lot of great stuff to chew on. It was a very interesting year. And I think we'll have an interesting 2024 as well. Probably won't be the only self-reflection we have kind of winding up the year here, but I do want to say, you know, thanks to, of course, in the Thanksgiving spirit, thanks to everyone uh, who's been listening. This, this is like what the 124th round table. Obviously I wasn't here for all of them, but those of you who stuck around the whole thing, like, thanks. That's amazing. Especially, uh, I mean, Aaron, you've been around here for for most of them, I would think, as well, right? Yeah, I think Matt has been been on the squad since the beginning of the roundtables, too. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah. like, thanks to you guys. Thanks to all the listeners. And, uh, yeah, I want you all to have a happy holidays. If you're listening to this, you know, delayed traveling, whatever, like, you know, enjoy the rest of your holidays. We'll obviously be back for a couple more episodes for the end of the year. But in the meantime, enjoy, and we'll see you all next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.